want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in the new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having one of my longtime friends in the Halo sector join me. We are going to do a crash course on private equity and growth capital, bringing to you live from San Diego, Eric Epstein, E2 Ventures by way of Manhattan Beach, by way of Hawaii, and back to me. What up? Peter, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Let's just air it out to end up the first day of the trade show. First of all, give everyone a quick background. How long have you been in private equity putting deals together? And now we're going to talk about some interesting stories along the way. All right. Well, hey, Pete, I appreciate it. Uh, we're here down at Ursa having a good time. San Diego's never been colder. Uh, again, my name is Eric Epstein. I started in private equity in 1993 in New York City. My first job was at the Blackstone Group, believe it or not, 30 years ago. Um, started started out there for a couple of years. I worked with a couple of private credit funds after that, and then I was in the private equity group at Cerberus Capital for 10 years um, in New York and in, in Los Angeles and California. And so I've been doing this for a while. At the moment, I act as an independent sponsor, so I work without a dedicated private equity fund, but I have many relationships with family offices and the institutional capital partners that will partner with me on uh, on transactions in which I pursue, and I spend a lot of my time within health, wellness, and fitness, which is why we're here at this, one of my the favorite, Halo. favorite the, trade the shows. Halo. I love the Halo. It's called the Halo Effect. So, Eric and I have been friends for at least 15 years now, I'd probably say, um, and you've been one of the early investors in, whether it's bricks and mortar, franchise, franchisor, franchisee, you know, as you look at different business models and you say, hey, that's interesting. I want to get in on the ground floor like you're in on the on the crunch deal, which I'd say is kind of the ground floor on the franchising side. What are some of the things do you look at and that are important to you? And maybe like if you were to force prioritize, like I got management, I got EBITDA, I got unit economics or, you know, give me like a laundry, you know, short, short list of like. If they yeah, don't check a, these it, boxes, I'm not interested. It's a great question. So, so first, let me tell you what I don't do, which is. um People who know me, I'm a health and wellness fanatic. And the first thing I try to do is as someone who's very passionate and I think, I guess I'll say on the leading edge of identifying trends is I want to make sure that my own personal passions, uh, I don't confuse good economics and good transactions with my own personal passions. So the first thing I try to do is, to not is, cloud make, your is, view is on, make sure that my perspective is actually balanced yeah. um, and okay. moderate and not, not based on some of my extreme uh, passions within the section. So that's right, actually right. the first thing I do. But no, on a, on a serious note, um, look, there's 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 different, so many different areas within the halo, um, the halo umbrella, if you will. So, look, within, you know, I am a, a Crunch Fitness franchisee in the Northeast, and so 
I've had an interest in multi-unit for many, many years. Um, as you know, you know, you look at the unit economics and find out where there's opportunities. You know, I pursued a number of planets over the years early on, uh -huh. you know, kind of well before the private equity consolidation and before valuations went absurd. Um, was always kind of cover bid on transactions I pursued in that area, but was very compelled with the HVLP thesis along with those unit economics and, and um, sought opportunities after Planet, and so Crunch was actually a natural fit, and I, and I, uh, I, I did lead a recapitalization of a rapidly growing platform in the Northeast in January 2020, so that was uh, wonderful timing right before That's COVID. That's when it closed, the original? Yeah, we, we closed Oof. that January 2020, and you know there were there was a number of HVLP deals that were done right prior right prior to COVID, and so you know a lot of our initial uh, excitement and um, uh, enthusiasm uh, quickly waned. You know, sixty yeah, days sure, later, sure. sixty days later, and uh, I have some other colleagues within private equity who also closed deals within a short period of time of the onset of COVID, and we traded a lot of war stories. Um, you know, throughout the initial uh, initial term of COVID, and thankfully, you know, most of us, particularly within HBLP, have bounced back uh, quite nicely. Um, but but obviously, that's only one area within within Halo. I mean, I love enthusiast consumer brands and other just you know rapidly you know rapidly growing brands that have you know a real franchise around them. And so, mm -hmm. what is, what does that mean? That means it's something that isn't just a fad, it's something that has a nice growth curve and you know adoption curve to it and something that has uh, good gross margins and becomes scalable over time and something that is more than a product, you know, hopefully a, a, a product line where um, you know you have a real opportunity to build a, build you know build a real business. Yeah, so you know as you take a look at what happened in the Planet Network where entrepreneurs bought up area developers, once they bought that development territory, they started to borrow money, personally guarantee it open up 10 or 15 leases, personally guarantee it. And then private equity says, hey, that, these unit economics look pretty interesting and you got a, a territory that you own exclusively uh, as Planet, you know, was kind of the first to say like, hey, it's kind of like a cash register. And it's not that hard to run because I'm not running any group X, I'm not running any personal training, I'm not running any daycare, I'm not running any pro shop. You know, when private equity looks at that and says, hey, look, I want to go and partner with one of these, uh, a CEO, you know, from your standpoint as being an independent sponsor, you know, you've got some, you know, pros of like, hey, partner with me because, look, I'm going to be along on the ride here with you. I'm going to help you manage this business. I'm going to help you interface with a private equity or my investors. Talk about the difference between like a private equity firm doing an area developer deal in like Planet or Crunch and you as an independent sponsor cutting a deal and then going out and getting the capital. But you staying on with the deal is almost like obviously a board member, obviously like an intermediary to an extent, and also yeah. like a buffer and a benefit to the management team, where it's like, hey man, you don't have to do a private equity deal. It's like you and the private equity firm. I'm actually here as like a conduit and a bridge that's gonna help raise the probability that we're gonna get through whatever we need to get through together. Yeah. How do you think about um, that? Or, to, or, yeah, or well, here's what here's here's I would answer. I actually operate a little differently than most independent sponsors. What I don't do is I don't court a founder or a management team and try to lock up a deal and then go dial for dollars. What I actually right, right. do- Right, right, no, I wasn't we, implying that. No, no, but no, just, but that's what yeah, most, that's independent, that's yeah, what most independent sponsors yeah, have. Yeah. I actually operate a little differently, which is I go, look, you know, all of these, all of the processes I'm involved actually are not processes. The process is it's a courtship process because 
the vast majority of transactions which I pursue are, you know, they're all relationship-based or cold calls or cold emails where relationships were established over, you know, years. months, if not yeah, years, sure. right? And so what I do is say, hey, look, I'm interested in helping you recapitalize your business or acquiring your business. And, you know, what are your goals? And by understanding your goals, I can help, I can help bring alternatives to the table. And what I do is I say, look, again, rather than locking you up into a deal and then dialing for dollars and trying to get that deal financed. Yeah. What I do is I bring various alternatives so that the founder or management team or owner can make a decision as to, hey, this is that's what is this is what's most ideal and best for me. And then say, okay, I can this is I can get that what I'll do is I test the market on a very curated basis. And so I so I bring back what the market has to So kind of like a offer. hybrid between like I'm your advisor and your banker and I'm also like your independent sponsor option. Right. So with I with a private I, equity fund to say like let me show you like the buffet. Right. And I'm I'm not fronting that my buffet is gonna be the winner. I'm like giving you what the right. market says. What I try to do is say look here's like as an example, here's maybe a majority um, option and yeah. here's a minority recapitalization option. And I will sh I'll sh I'll speak to the right number of parties and I might be three or five parties under either option so that we can present options and people can say look I like this or I like that, and then, and then I will work with these various groups to present, you know, alternatives to again a founder or management team so that they can pick what's best for them. And it, but unlike a banker, I stay involved. So I, I right. co-invest in the deal. I sit on the board. Like on the Crunch Fitness franchise that I'm involved in now, you know, I'm on the board. I act very much as kind of a coach, mentor, uh, you know, to our. To our CEO, I act as our CFO. I deal with all our capital markets, and I'm, you know, the interface directly with our, you know, family offices and institutional capital partner that that is involved in our platform. Gotcha. So, you know, as you take a look at going into crunch, let's talk talk industry-wise. You got in in January 2020. Not great timing. However, you know, you did have a, a partner in Seacoast, and I'm sure they have the, the word flexible on their website. Um, a lot of guys weren't flexible during yeah. COVID, and you know when they stopped getting paid. Um, so, how did you? How do you think about, you know, picking your partner with people that have done multi-unit in the past, people that you have relationships with? What, what's your criteria to say to that entrepreneur? Hey, here's all your options. If you do a deal with me, I'm going to do a deal with a group that is like-minded, or it's not just. Yeah, well, that's, that's a good question, and one of the things. You know, that, that I share with people is look, as I present alternatives, you know, economics are part of it, but there also has to be a good cultural cultural fit because right. most of the transactions I focus on are more, they're, they're, they're going to be more of a partnership rather than an entire sale or buyout of a company. And so I said, look, you're not just selling your company for the highest price and moving on, you're entering a partnership. And so, yeah. you know, understanding the terms of that, not just economically and structurally, but just kind of culturally is a big deal. And so fortunately, as you know, there's no shortage of investors who are interested in getting into this space. And so, you know, we have, you know, we collectively have relationships with many, many, but we know our, there's a short list of folks in which we think will be the right fit for any particular situation. And, and that they've also looked at other deals and you don't have to get up to speed yeah, with them they, on the entire they, People that know the sector, um, yeah. you know, people that have, that have the experience in the sector and also people that have had challenges in a sector because, you know, as you know, everyone's a great partner when things are going well, but, you know, you really find out how good your partners are when things, when you're, when you're challenged. And so, you know, we were just talking a second ago, you, you brought up the fact that Seacoast Capital is the institu my institutional capital partner on our Crunch Fitness franchisee. Seacoast 
is an unbelievable partner. I mean, they, you know, they basically financed a minority recapitalization of 21, you know, crunch locations in January 2020. And everything was going, you know, fantastic for 45 or 60 days <laughs> until the world shut down. It's like a shortest, and, shortest you know, private equity honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, well, there, I, there's a couple examples of, look, the, the, the Prospect Hill crunch platform. I think those guys closed, um, you know, later in January, beginning of February. Uh, so they they yeah. actually yeah. <laughs> they actually uh, flew even closer to the sun, the right, COVID right, sun. Right, but right. you know, to your point, the, like Seacoast, they they funded half their investment at closing and half their investment um, really subsequent to closing, and they they adhered to the terms of the original deal. I mean, talk about amazing partners. I mean, yeah. you know, just patient, flexible, backing you in tough times. I mean. Those types of partnerships, that's not what you find across the board, as you know. And so, yeah. you know, people like that obviously have the long the long view. Relationships are important. Integrity is important and just maintaining their word. And so they've been an unbelievable partner and obviously someone I would grab it, would would partner with rapidly, eagerly again. Yeah. One, one of the things that I've seen over the years that has gone wrong with private equity funds doing deals with management teams or, or an owner and the, and the private equity fund ends up buying majority control or like 49% control, whatever it is, the, the, the CEO of the company thinks that they rented capital and the private equity fund thinks that this guy or this woman's under an employment agreement. Yeah. And I feel like if you don't understand what the relationship is the day after closing, you're probably going to at some point butt heads of like, Hey, am I running money for you, or are you working for me because I'm running the money? So how yeah. do you how well, have you kind of like laid a, out and a, established great, like, hey, how, this is how shit's gonna go? It's a great question. I mean, look, it's all about managing expectations and also picking picking a good partner. But I mean, I there's I can think of very a lot of very successful private equity transactions, either majority or minority deals, where the partnerships have been have worked out unbelievable in good times and bad. Yeah. And then, but I also, you know, I'm very familiar with situations where, actually, as you alluded to, just the, um, uh, the, you know, the perspective of the the private equity now owner and the manager, the you know, entrepreneur or CEO who now feels like more of an employee than that entrepreneur or majority owner in the past. Those, um, you know, there's there's a conflict over time, and um, you know, you know. Things I, I think of an example of a, I have a very good friend of mine who sold a business in the in the healthcare space who, um, uh, you know, very successful exit, sold 60 or 70 percent of the company to a very well-known private equity fund, and within 12 months of closing a deal, they're butting heads, and you know the CEO stepped down, and he still owns a ton of equity, and yeah. he'll stay on the board, but you know the the relationship dissolved really quickly. Yeah, um, I feel like I feel like. Um Ownership disputes tank companies more than like management, uh, like strategy dispute. I feel like once there's like a like a toxicity at the at the board level, it kind of somehow like drips down like a like a flood. Well, yeah, I don't know if I could comp compare the two, but I, you know, there's plenty of examples of um, look. If you have a if you don't have a healthy, collaborative, cooperative environment. At the board level, it's going to cause problems. We actually have a very interesting board dynamic at our at our Crunch platform. We have a, a really a, a disparate minority shareholder base, meaning we have two large family offices and one institutional capital partner, plus a CEO who who um, uh, uh, exchanged 
you know, he sold his company into our platform and so in exchange for a bunch of equity. So we actually have four very large yet minority equity holders and somehow our board in corporate governance works, mm -hmm. but I'd say that that's, uh, that's, that dynamic is unusual, um, but it is, it is collaborative and, um, and it, it works, but, but obviously, you know, those relationships, if they, if they dissolve it, uh, that toxicity can, can filter down real quick. Yeah. Let me ask you two more questions, and obviously you, you and I can riff for hours here, um, but I really want people to understand and get to, get a couple of takeaways from private equity, the benefits of doing it, the, the, the professionalism you get. Um, the one thing I want to ask you about is, you know, there's a lot of franchisors out there that, you know, want to become the next Massage Envy and want to sure. become the next Orange Theory. Um, you know, you could say F45, like, oh, like they were gangbusters. If you saw that public company stock, you'd be like, oh, I'd love to be a franchisee right. of F45 until you actually did the work and right. realized that you don't want to become right. one because the unit economics don't work. So, you know, over the years of doing this, how much do you trust your gut or like interview like or read through like, hey, who's the franchisor? Who's like my ultimate parent company partner? Because you've got a really interesting, you know, almost like a, a rectangular relationship between like landlords, franchisor, franchisee, and equity group, and probably a debt group in the middle. It's almost like an you know, a hexagon yeah. or something about all these relationships. So how do you think about diligence in a franchisor as a as a sponsor, as a private equity firm, as a manager, and be like, hey, I don't know if I trust these guys. Like Planet Fitness back in the day, you go up there, they had like a beer keg and they had like, you know, yeah, calendars look, you'd be like dude i don't know man this is a little bit crazy for me look i think uh like you ask a good question particularly now where the franchise model is so popular right yeah. and so it's 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 expanded so greatly within health and wellness you know on the on the success of everything from planets to to exponential um look the the diligence on the franchisor is that that's that is an important part of diligence i mean look as a franchisee you have you have a playbook you have your territory and you have, you know, you have to really, you better like that playbook and you better like the, the folks that drafted that playbook and you better, you better, yeah. you know, those unit economics better work and um, uh, that playbook has to work. And so if you're not comfortable with, you know, kind of the genesis of that, then you have an issue. Now, fortunately, um, I actually met Mark Mastroff and Jim Rowley many, many years ago and had a great deal of respect for what they've done in this industry yeah. and how the industry has evolved over time. And so I felt like I had a leg up because of a pre-existing relationship where I was comfortable with them yeah. as, as individuals and could, you know, and they also were very, would give the time up front to answer questions for myself and our capital partners so that everyone was comfortable with was what our strategy was and where, what our goals were within our market. Yeah. And then, you know, as you think about, you know, exits and you think about, you know, the time horizon, Northcastle just did a deal where they basically wanted to hold on to right. their portfolio company and, and had a continuation fund. Um, there's several of those types of deals where there's a Planet Fitness, big Planet Fitness franchise area developer that private equity firm doesn't want to let go because it's great business. Right. So how do you think about maybe like in this new private equity environment and maybe more traditional business norms with higher interest rates, maybe less economic growth, um, maybe like a 10 year hold isn't like a crazy idea if you got a really good business instead of going and selling this one and going to trying to find another one. Yeah, well, I, I fully agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, one of the deficiencies in the private equity model is that pressure to, you know, 
sometimes monetize prematurely because of just the fund raising cycle. So I actually agree when you have a good business and you continue your growth trajectory, or maybe you're just operating in harvest mode. If you have a good business with good unit economics, um, you know, unless you're forced to deploy that capital elsewhere, I'm, I, I am a big fan of that long-term hold. Um, yeah. And so for something like this, in, in my situation, as I mentioned earlier, we have this disparate minority shareholder base where I have different shareholders who very likely have different goals and timelines, right. which we will respect. And so my, honestly, one of the jobs I, I do is as you know, kind of like acting CFO and dealing with all our capital markets and, and, and presenting various options over time to, to our partners is, look, the CEO and I, we love doing this, and we, we're very much, you know, right now we're 34 locations. You know, my gut tells me, you know, we're going to open up eight locations this year. We have some M&A in our pipeline. So, you know, we should be, I'm hoping we're at 50 locations within the next 18 months or so. We got a lot of fire in the tank. But yeah. some of our investors may have different goals and timelines. So my only goal is to pr make sure that we always have, one, a capital structure to support our growth plan, and two, also have the you know, have the capital structure in place to provide our shareholders options over time in the event, if and when they want to exit over time. And the CEO and I, we say it to ourselves, all, we tell each other all the time, hey, so long as this is fun, we'll, we'll keep doing this. Yeah, so. no, that's great, that's great. Well, let's make this part one of our, uh, of our multi-unit uh, series of uh, podcast. So we bought, banked our first 20. Good to see you again in person. Hopefully we'll Always work on some deals together. Let's do it. And um, welcome to the Halo sector in a big way. And if you've got questions about how independent sponsors works, private equity, and uh, you want a second opinion, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit you up with Eric. So please uh, do. Good stuff, man. Good to see you. Thanks, Pete.